going to continue our series today on James, looking at a topic that every one of us here this morning struggles with. Um, and maybe you haven't realized this, but here's an issue every one of us today struggle with. It's the struggle to let God be God. Are you aware of that? We, we are in that struggle. I referenced a couple of weeks ago, Genesis 3, 5, where Satan, in tempting Eve, tempted her to eat what God had forbidden by attacking her desire to, in a sense, be God. Remember Satan's words to her were this in Genesis 3, 5. It says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, Satan knows very clearly that we all have this desire this morning to be in control, do we not? That's what we want. We want to be in control. We want to dictate our own lives. And not only do we want to dictate our own lives, we want to dictate the lives of others. In other words, we want to be God. However, here's what we're gonna see today, that there's only one who has the right to that position, and that is indeed God himself. In fact, in our passage today, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see two specific areas today where we need to let God be God. And first, I'm going to say this. The first area where we need to let God be God is this. Let God be God of others. See, as James continues to write his letter, he says these words beginning in verse 11 of chapter 4. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother uh, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You see in verse 11, it starts with a command from James, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Now that term brother that he used may very well mean that James is specifically talking about Christians speaking evil of other Christians. But even if we take this in a general sense, we can see that we are not to speak evil against one another. I wonder, have you ever spoken evil against someone? This morning, we have bikers in our midst as we celebrate Biker Sunday. And I ran across a website specifically for bikers. And I found an article that talked about what bikers say about other bikers who don't wave. Okay. What bikers say about other bikers. All right. Now, non-Harley riders, all right, non-Harley riders say that Harley riders who don't wave don't wave because they are afraid it will invalidate their warranty. <laughs> or, or, or hear this one. They refuse to wave to anyone whose bike is already paid for. Because <laughs> if they have a Harley, they're still paying for it, right? Or, I like this one. They are afraid to let go of their handlebars because it may vibrate off. <laughs> or this is probably my favorite. They can't tell if other riders are waving or just reaching to cover their ears like everyone else. All right, now, non-gold wing riders say that gold wing riders don't wave because they are afraid they might get frostbite if they take their hands off the heated grips. Or they were in a, just a three-way conference call with their stockbroker and their accessories dealer all at the same time. Or they were simultaneously adjusting their air suspension, seat height, programmable CD player, seat temperature, and satellite navigation system so they couldn't wave, Right? Or about this one, they couldn't find the auto wave back button on the dashboards. <laughs> now, non-sports bike riders say that sports bike riders don't wave because they have not been riding long enough to know they're supposed to wave. Or two, they're going too fast to have enough time to register the movement and respond. <laughs> 
Or how about this? They look way too cool with both hands on the bars or they don't want to unbalance themselves while riding on the tank. All right, here's my personal favorite for this one. All right, non-sports bike riders say that sports bike riders don't weigh because raising an arm allows bugs into the armholes in their tank tops. Or one more, then I'll stop. <laughs> the other is this. They're way too busy slipping their flip-flop back on. <laughs> all right, I'm going to stop there. And I think uh, hopefully our biker friends understood all those and uh, that the stereotypes from which they come. Because I know this morning, surely none of our biker friends today has ever said anything about somebody who drives a different bike, right? No, 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 we say very sarcastically, right? Of course uh, they have, all right? Now, we today, uh, we can make fun of that. That's funny. We can laugh about those things, but here's the reality. There's something more serious than these funny criticisms a biker makes of another biker who doesn't wave. It is the things that we often say about others. It is the evil that is spoken about someone else. When James says, don't speak evil against one another, the word he used actually means this. It means to slander. In the original Greek language, it's a combination word. It's a, it's a word that has two meanings that really means to talk and down, all right? It means to talk down someone. That's really what it's meaning. It is when one person talks to another person about a third person, okay? And their goal of talking to the one person about the other person is to lower the one person's view of the third person. And it doesn't matter whether what they're saying is true or not. They just want to lower a person's view of the one that is spoken about. Here's why they do it. They do this in attempt to play God because you want to be seen as superior. And so in order to be superior, the other person has to be inferior, right? So you have to tear that person down. Now, one of the things that is so bad about this kind of evil talk is that it is most often done when the third person is not around to defend themselves. And I just wonder here this morning, have we ever done that? I wonder even this morning, as some of you came in that maybe weren't bikers today, if you looked at the bikes and saw some of the bikers coming in, I wonder if you even said something about a biker even to yourself, all right, because you even were talking evil before you even have met this person. You see, I'm going to give you a warning because all the way back in Leviticus 19:16, the Bible says where God gave us this command, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor for I am the Lord. In other words, God made it plain a long time ago that speaking evil or slandering someone is not his will for his people. In fact, here's what some of us need to no doubt do. We need to stop and consider our lives and ask yourself, am I speaking evil of other people? In other words, am I speaking about someone to somebody else with the goal of lowering that one person's opinion of them, all right? You might look and say, well, I'm not saying anything that bad, but if you're speaking to someone trying to lower their opinion of someone else, you are doing exactly what James has told us not to do, and it's not in the will of God. If you would look at your life today and say, well, that's been me at times, here's what I would encourage you to do, to listen, take inventory of your life, and to make a commitment today that you are not going to talk about evil about other people. In fact, to take it a step further, notice what James continues to say in verse 11. He expands on this evil talk when he says at the end of that, look, he says, or judges his brother, all right? Not just speaks evil of them, but also judges them. Here he adds the thought of judging others, and it's a little more detailed because it specifically is addressing the idea of condemning someone. I might even put it to us this way. It's the pronouncing of someone as being right or wrong. Now, here's the issue with judging others is that to judge someone correctly, 
you have to know everything about them. All right? This means not only judging their actions, but you also have to judge their attitudes and their motives. And I'm going to ask you this. Which one of us can do that today? How many of you know the attitudes and how many of you know this morning the thoughts and the motives behind what somebody does? I think this morning, if we're all honest, we can say today, none of us can do, all right? None of us today can accurately know the attitude and motive of another individual. I will, again, as I think about that, I even reminded that time and time again, we seek to judge others and especially even judge them of why they did something. In fact, let's not forget that Jesus gave us some famous words on this topic in Matthew 7 when he said this. He says, do not judge that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eyes? Now, those words are very clear to us. In fact, really, those words of Jesus need no explanation because here's what they point out, a reality that is in all of our life, and it's this, is that we have a tendency to see the faults in someone else's lives, but we fail to see the fault in our own lives. Is that true? Think about this, all right? Think for a moment. If we cannot even see clearly our own faults, then what makes us believe that we can judge the lives of others? Okay, we can't, at least not superficially, okay? And here's why I say superficially, because don't think when you hear these words, I think many people take them to the wrong extreme. The judging that he's speaking about is not saying that in life, and this is what I have to do. I have to look at people's lives and say anything goes because I can never judge anything they do is right or wrong. That's really not what he's talking about here because even on Matthew and seven, you go a little further, verse five, it says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. There is a time that you look at someone's life and you say, there's something wrong and I want to help you get that out of your life. That's not what he's talking about. But for most of us, here's what we need to know, that if we would spend an adequate amount of time making sure that we have dealt with our own faults, then we don't have time to deal with the faults of others, right? Now, when we in fact do this and we try to help somebody and point out their faults, here's what the goal should be. The goal should always be to help that person live in God's will through the love of God. However, most people's judging, let me say this, most people's judging has nothing to do with helping others, but they have everything to do with condemning. And you'd be very careful about that because ultimately only God has the right to condemn, right? And I got some good news there. Even though God has the right to condemn, God doesn't want to condemn. In fact, the Bible says that God loved us so much instead of wanting to condemn us, you know what he wants to do? He wants to save us through the love of Jesus Christ. Here's what the Bible says, that God loved us so much. Again, even where things were wrong in our life, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, that we might be forgiven of those wrongs, that we might be given a new life, and that we could live differently for him. Because God doesn't just want to condemn us in our sin. He wants to save us and to give us eternal life. Does that make sense to you? You see, we spend all this time judging people when God says, listen, that is not your place. Now, I'm going to say this. If your judging of another person has nothing to do with helping them come to know the love of Jesus, then your judging is ungodly and is just as wrong as the sin of the person you are judging. All right? Y'all hear that? Let me, let me say that again. Are y'all a little sleepy today? Y'all look a little sleepy today. I'm going to say that one more time. If your judging of others has nothing to do with helping them come to know the love of Jesus, then your judging is ungodly and is just as wrong as the sin of the person that you are judging. 
Right? Look at why this, in fact, is so wrong. Go back to verses 11 and 12. Look at them again. It says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? In fact, here's what James is saying. James says that when you speak evil of your brother or you judge your brother, you're speaking against the law. And the law that he most likely is referring to here is the royal law that was mentioned back in James chapter 2, verse 8. And if you remember that law, that's the law that says you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Do you all remember that one? And he says, so when you come and you're speaking against the law or judging law, it means this. It means you're saying that that law is not right, that it is bad, and it is not worthy to be obeyed. Okay, now do you understand fully what that means? Do you understand if you do that, what you're saying? You're other words saying, James is getting us to the point that we know that when we are speaking evil to others or judging others, we are basically looking at God and saying this. Looking at God and saying, God, you are wrong to say, love your neighbors. And God, I know better. So you know what I'm going to do, God? I'm going to do whatever I want. Now, how does that make you feel? Is that, that kind of scary? To look at God and say, God, what you are saying is wrong? You, you tell me, is that a good idea or a bad? I got to look at God and say, God, you are wrong. It's wrong. See, when you judge God's law in this way, you are saying, in essence, you are God. And in case you think I'm taking this too far in my analysis, look again at what James said in verse 12, okay? There is only one lawgiver and judge, all right? He was able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? James is clearly trying to make the point, hear me, that there is only one God and you are not him. Is that right, Roy? Is that good? Amen. Thank you, okay? There's only one God and you are not him. So here's what I'm going to say to you today. Let God be the God of others. Don't try to take his role by becoming a judge because you have not been given that right. Now, James doesn't end there, though. He goes on to make a point that we should also let God be the God of you. Okay, as I alluded to earlier, people want to judge others for their life that they are living, but they never want to consider their own personal life and how it is being lived. And even for those who think they are giving attention to their life and how it is being lived, they may only judge their life based upon whether they are avoiding bad things or not. In fact, many people look at their lives and they have a tendency to judge their life and say, well, as long as I'm not doing drugs, as long as I'm not cheating others, as long as I'm not cussing, as long as I'm not being unfaithful, then life is okay. I'm, I'm living life okay. But as we continue today, there's a deeper issue that you must consider. Hear this. Are you letting God be the God of you? Look back at our text beginning in verse 13 again. Micah touched on these verses a few weeks ago, but we're going to look at them again from a little different perspective. As James writes, he says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. James starts this section with two little words, Come now. And those two words, come now, are meant to be like James giving us a wake-up call. He's saying, come on now, come on, come to your senses. Y'all get that? Come to your senses, come now, come, listen, he's saying, come to your senses on what? Living your life as if you are your own God. See, James here looks at how people have this tendency to plan their own lives and to plan their lives for their own benefit. Micah alluded to this just a few weeks ago, but our tendency is to look and say, well, we will do things in our own time today or tomorrow, right? Whichever I choose, I'll do it today or I'll do it tomorrow, whatever I choose. We have this tendency to go wherever we want. I'll, I'll go to such and such town, whichever one I choose to, to go to. 
And then I, then, and not only will I do that, then I'll spend a certain amount of time there. As James mentioned, in that case, a year. Why am I going to spend a year? Because that's what I choose to do. And so I'm going to pick my own time about how long I, I will do that. And then, uh, then you know what? I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to trade. I'm going I'm to do those things. And then I, I'm going to choose to make a profit. Why? Because that's going to benefit me. And I hope you see the problem with the person who James is alluding to. It is that life is all about themselves and the choices that are made to benefit oneself without even considering God. James really is describing the selfish life that most people choose to live. Even most of the people in this room that we choose to live this selfish life where I'll do what I want, when I want, how I want. All right, I'll do with my life whatever I choose to do. But, and we think about that. I want you to know, as I mentioned, that James is not speaking against proper planning. Because even scriptures like Proverbs 21.5 speak of the benefits of planning when he says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. All right? So is he speaking against planning? He's not speaking against planning. So if it's not planning that he's warning against, it's actually this. It's living life selfishly where one is only concerned about his or her well-being and not even considering God's will. It's kind of like the man in the parable that Jesus shared in Luke chapter 12, where Jesus shared this parable. He said, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, well, what should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store up all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Do you see the issue? Here was a man who was being very blessed. And what happened, he, 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 he focused his entire life upon himself. In fact, when he had more than he needed, instead of asking God, God, what do you want me to do with this abundance? This man looked and said, how can I store up more for myself? And so he built bigger barns. He stored that away. And he says, listen, I'm in charge of my life. I have everything I need. Everything is under control. Eat, drink, and be merry. All right, do you get it? He says, I I'm taking care of myself. In fact, keep this in mind. When we look at this man, it doesn't say he did anything immoral. We have no reason to believe he got these riches from any immoral type of living or anything wrong but his concern was just simply this that this man was only focusing upon himself only on his selfish pursuits and I hope that you'll see something from this text that when we focus only on our selfish pursuits it doesn't work out very good because for this man that very night what happened God says I am going to take your soul this very night life for you is going to end see Jesus warned for us even this is how it's going to be for anyone who stores up treasures for themselves and is not rich toward God. See, James even indicates that all of our lives should be lived with the reality of this. Are you ready? That tomorrow may not come for any of us. Are you aware? I might not see you tomorrow. I might not be alive tomorrow. You might not be alive tomorrow. And James says we should live our life with that reality because life for us is temporary. Life for us is short. It appears for a little time, James says, and then it vanishes. 
You know, unfortunately, as we gather with our biker friends today in recent weeks, we've heard several stories of bikers who went out for a ride, never expecting it would be their last, only to be in a wreck and never see another day. Y'all have seen those stories, right? I'm sure all of our biker community knows all about that because our heart breaks every time they hear one of their stories. But I want you to know, life is short for all of us and none of us never know if we are gonna see another day. That is why we must be so careful about how we're living each day. And it's why it's so important that we don't live life as if we are God. You see, James goes on though, and not to even just mention the problem, but he gives us a solution. Look at verse 15. He said, instead, all right, We're living with this God God complex. I'm doing what I want. I'm living for myself. But James says, listen, instead of that, here's how you ought to live. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Here's the solution to our God complex. It is instead seeking the Lord's will daily. It is yielding to God saying, I want to do what you want and I will do what you will allow me to do. In fact, if we could all just grasp this truth and live by it, life would be better for all of us and the world would be a better place. If we could all accept the truth that what is most important is the Lord's will, then we would all be better off. Anybody agree to that? I wonder how many times, think about it, how many times have you been disappointed today because you didn't get what you wanted? For example, I mean, you were disappointed because uh, you you didn't get that job that you thought was going to be yours. I mean, you didn't get that promotion that you thought was coming. You didn't get that scholarship you thought was coming your way. You you didn't have a a successful business year as you were anticipating. You you didn't get to take that vacation you were expecting. On and on the list goes, I wonder how many times that you have been disappointed. Many of us probably have. Anybody here ever had a disappointment like that in life? Raise your hand. Anybody? Okay, good. I think we all have, right? Well, I wonder how many times we really stop to consider that maybe the Lord had other plans. Did you ever stop to say, God, did you have other plans? I'm going to say most of the time not. Most of the time we just ended up disappointed. Even I've heard people say this, well, it must not have been the Lord's will. And they said that and really deep down in their heart, they weren't accepting that. They were still disappointed, Right? They just said that because that's the thing you say when you're a Christian or you go to church. If it's a, it must not have been the Lord's will. Right? But deep down inside, we're tore apart, we're depressed, we're disappointed. We couldn't really accept that God had other plans. And here would be my prayer for every one of us here this morning, that we get to the point that we could yield to God, say, God daily and say, Lord, if it's your will, I will do this or I will do that. But Lord, only if it's your will. And we will be okay with what the God allows us to do. And we will be okay with what God doesn't allow us to do. Do you hear me? That's what we need to get. See, if you don't live life in that reality, God, that God knows best for you, and therefore you're seeking his will, then we're going to do what James says in verse 16. Then we'll, it says, as it is, you, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. It means when, if we don't accept the Lord's will, what we end up doing is we just go out and we talk about our life. We go, oh, I'm doing this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And we're just out there boasting about our own lives instead of saying, well, if the Lord wills, I'm going to do this or that. And he looks at that and says, here's the reality. All that boasting is, is, is sin in our life if we let that happen, all right? Again, we're going to boast in our own confidence and our own arrogance. Ultimately, folks, here's where we need to get to. Ultimately, we need to get to the point where we let God be the God daily in our life. Daily, every day. As James ends this section, he ends in such an appropriate way when he says this in verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is what? Sin. 
For me, for many this morning, even as I mentioned James's words in verse 15 saying, if it's the Lord will, we think, I just want to know God's will. I don't know how many times I've talked to people who say they're seeking and want to know God's will. James' words here in verse 15 really lead us to a practical thing when it comes to knowing and doing God's will. And this is how I'm going to put it. You ready? Do what you know to do. All right? Do what you know to do. Look at verse 17 again. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now keep that up there for just a second. Is there anyone here today that would look at that verse and read that verse and let that, that verse sink into your heart today that would say, that would raise your hand and say, as I read that verse correctly, I might have sinned. I might have sinned. There was a time, there was something I knew I was to do and I knew the right thing to do, but I just didn't do it. Go ahead, raise your hand up strong. Go ahead. I see you're not here, but let's not be ashamed. All right, we, this way we can see we're all in this together, right? We're here, we're here. We've all, all done it, okay? Now, I, every one of us have raised their hand, and everyone here at one time or another has been guilty of knowing the right thing to do and not doing it. In other words, you ready? In other words, we failed to let God be God in that moment. Right? Isn't that what amounted to? In other words, we looked at God and said, right now, God, I know a better way than you. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. And so if we don't do what we know we're to do, that sin, that's looking at God and saying, God, I know a better way. Now think about it. This, this morning, y'all let God be God in this moment, have you not? I mean, you came to church, right? Yes? You came to church, so I would assume that's God's will for you. You're here. That's probably a good thing to be in church. So you let God be God in this moment today. I'm coming. I'm here to worship him. I'm going to let God be God right now. But here's my big question. When you walk out those doors, are you going to let God be God at 1 o'clock this afternoon, 2 o'clock this afternoon, 3 o'clock this afternoon, 4 o'clock this afternoon? Are you going to let God be God tomorrow? Because it's not just asking on Sunday morning, God, what do you want me to do and coming to church? It's every day saying, God, what is your will for my life? And I'm ready to do it. And when I know what your will is, I'm going to do that will. You see, for most of us, the issue is not, do I know God's will? But the issue is really, am I going to do God's will? In fact, commentator Clayton Harrop made this observation. He says, there are unlimited ways by which we are condemned by the statement of verse 17. The opportunity comes to speak our witness to the love and the power of Christ, but we refuse. Occasions arise for us to render service to our churches, but we find excuses for not doing so. We are aware of the social injustices and we refuse to rock the boat. We see little children and the elderly and disabled in physical need, and we clutch our wallets more tightly. We see one lonely and discouraged because he is not in. And we turn our backs so that we hope we don't have to see him. We hear unfaithful and untrue words spoken and remain silent. We see our government, our country, our churches headed away from what seems to be God's revealed will and we refuse to get involved. When we know what we ought to do but refuse to do it for us, it is sin. You see, James is truly challenged us here to simply get back to the basics of doing what we know God wants us to do. Again, I have said this before, and now I'm going to say it again. For most of us, we don't need to seek to know God's will more. We simply need to do the will of God that we already know. 
So many lives here this morning would be different if we simply did the will of God you already knew. In other words, if you let God be God daily in your life. See, this morning as we come, in fact, the reason we do Biker Sunday is actually this. It's actually to help CMA do what they know to do. As Tracy's already shared this morning, the CMA members know that God wants them to use their passion for biking as a mean to reach others. So they are doing what they know to do, whether that be at a bike rally, whether that be to help missionaries in foreign countries, whether it be sharing Christ at a gas station, wherever that is, they would just say, this is what God wants us to do. And so every day we're seeking to take our passion and reach others for Jesus Christ. They are fulfilling God's calling. And we as a church are simply just helping them do what they know to do. And we as a church, guess what? We are going to do what we should do. We should be looking to God and saying, God, what do you want us to do? And we're going to be about those, those things, seeking to let God be God in the life of the church. And so really that brings me just to the end to say this. Today, truly, are you letting God be God? Let me ask you today. Are you letting God be God of others? If you're here today and what you have is a very judgmental attitude, if you have this personality where you're always talking about others, trying to bring them down, you need to know when you have that attitude in life, you are seeking to be the judge. You are seeking to be God. And God would say, that's not your place. Today, he would say, let him be the God of others. We should be the ones encouraging folks. And even if we see someone doing something wrong, we shouldn't judge them. Instead, we should reach out to them with the love of Jesus Christ, seeking to help them know God's love and to be changed by the power of this God who created them. Does that make sense? And today you ought to let God be the God of you, which is really my biggest concern. Are you letting God be the God of you? Every day, are you willing to get up and say, God, today, I'm gonna do what you want me to do. I had plans today, God. But can you get up every day to say, God, if you change my plans, I am okay with that, God, because I want to accomplish what you want. If today you're dreaming dreams about your life and you've got, you've got your future laid out. Here's a job you're pursuing. This is the job I'm going to get. How it's going to turn out if you would come and say, God, I give it to you. And so that if you don't get that job, if you end up doing something else, can you look and say, God, if that's your will for my life, I am, I am more than willing to accept it, God, because you're God and not me. Are you willing? Let God be God of you. And if you're willing to accept those two, it boils down to you coming this morning and saying, God, I'm going to let you be God daily of my life. Right? Again, it's not just here. That it's easy when you're in a congregation and there's a preacher in front of you to agree, right? Say, amen, brother. Preach on. I'm with that. Isn't it, Isn't it easy here? You're sitting in church. It's easy to say amen. But the big issue is when you walk out those doors, are you going to let God be God? Because what I know, and I'm including me in this, Okay, I'm going to have this tendency to want to play the role of God. I'm going to have that tendency to say, I want to control my life. I'm going to control the, the life of those around me. I'm going to control my kids' lives. And they're graduating from college. I don't care. I want to still control their lives, right? right? What I want to do today for all of us is accept to the point, God, you're God. I'm not. And what I'm doing today is I'm letting you be God. My prayer for all of us is that we could do that each and every day. We're going to come to a time of invitation here in just a moment. And let me ask you, what do you need to do today to let God be God of your life? There's some as we come to invitation. If you're going to do what you know you should do, 
All right, so you don't sin. There's some this morning that need to come and say, you know what? I've never given my heart and life to Jesus Christ. I've heard people share with me many times that Jesus died for me. I've heard it shared many times that I'm a sinner and I need this Savior. But I have never opened my heart because the reality, I still wanted to be in control. And I've just never turned it loose to God. And I've never given my life to Jesus Christ. For some of you, to let God be God, today is the day that you come and give your life to Jesus Christ. For others, it's the following baptism. You say, I've received Christ and I know that, but I've never been obedient to him in baptism and you need to come today to say if I'm going to let God be God it starts with me going in those baptismal waters to be obedient to him for others today I don't know what it is for some is coming to this altar because you're saying God I, I want you to be God and so what I need to do Lord is I need you to forgive me of my judgmental attitude and I've been bad about tearing people down and speaking evil of others and God I need your forgiveness and help me to speak differently and even when I am talking to somebody about something wrong in their life my goal would be not to judge or condemn but to help them to find your love and to find a better way because you have a better plan for their life maybe for some there's an issue in your life and you're seeking a direction that you need to come to this altar and kneel and say God whatever your will is I'm willing to accept it if I don't get what I want, God, if I don't get to do what I want to do, if things don't go my way, God, I'm just coming to this altar because I'm saying, Lord, I'm yielding this situation to your life and I wanna hear from you. And God, I truly want you to be God in this, in this situation and in this moment. And others, it may just be coming to this altar to say, Lord, I'm really not sure what tomorrow's gonna bring, but what I do wanna do today is say, God, I want it to be yours. I want to listen to you I want to follow you in everything. Would you pray with me this morning? Our Father, as we come to you this morning, I, I do thank you for, for the words of James. Even though they speak so piercing to our hearts because they're so real of who we are and even the struggles that we have. And so, Father, as we come to the end of this message today where we're challenged to let you be God, I, I pray today truly we could give you that position since it's yours anyway. Help us, Father, to turn loose. Help us, Father, today to give up the control of our life to you, knowing, Father, that you know best. And if we look to you, you'll truly guide us, you'll truly direct us. Help us today to simply even do, Lord, what we know we need to do. Because many here this morning already know the right things. We've just been choosing to do the wrong. So help us today to let you be God in our moment so that we'll do what you're calling us to do. So bless this time. I don't know how you're speaking to hearts, but trust, I trust, Father, today that people in this moment will truly listen to you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.